listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the 1517 to Paris. Bonjour. Vous désirez quelque chose? Snacks coming at 12 o'clock. Gentlemen? There you go. Thank you. Look at the baby soda, Spencer. Alex, shut the heck up. <laughs> <laughs> us towards something like some greater purpose all right everybody you were just listening to the trailer for the 1517 to paris and the story is as follows Three American friends are among those confronting a terrorist aboard a train bound for Paris. The title refers to the time the train departed from Amsterdam Central Station. The film is starring Anthony Sadler, Alex Garlados, Spencer Stone, Judy Greer, Jenna Fisher, and Ray Corasani. It is directed by Clint Eastwood and written by Dorothy Bliskel. Joining me for this review, we have a guest, and it is a fan of the show. It is Josh Parham, everybody. Well, thank you very much for having me, Matt. It's really great to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to finally hear your voice after all this time of uh, interacting with you on film Twitter and also talking the Oscars with you. So this is uh, this is fun. This is nice, uh, all things considered. Um, what wasn't so fun and what wasn't so nice uh, was this movie, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> Say that again. Um, it's a prelude to uh, my overall thoughts over here. I mean, ultimately, the film is directed by Clint Eastwood, who we all know can be a little hit or miss at times, and in this one he decided to do a very bold and daring experiment, so to speak. Uh, he decided to cast the real-life heroes from this incident that took place August of 2015, uh, these three young men who stopped this uh, terrorist attack from occurring, and they were recognized for their achievements, they are definitely brave heroes, and we're definitely going to talk about those heroics here, but all right. I mean, he casted them in the lead roles, rolled the dice, film is out. We have both seen it. Josh, what did you think of the 1517 to Paris? Well, it's definitely not that great. Um, <laughs> what I think is, I, I, I think that's unfortunate because, to be honest, I have been a pretty, not massive fan of Clint Eastwood, but 
he's got a lot of movies in his filmography that I've been a great admirer of, you know, Unforgiven, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, just really solid films. But the last couple have just really gone off the deep end for me. It's just been kind of bland and boring. And I think that is the exact description of this movie is just bland and boring. Um, it just, the pacing is really bad. The editing is kind of off too. And just everything about this movie laser on the screen there's no dynamic energy to it there's nothing about it that really propels you to care about these characters and instead you're just left with this very by the numbers bland piece of storytelling all pushing you to this moment that itself isn't even that thrilling in terms of the way that it's executed so unfortunately i just really felt this movie did not have a lot to offer and was kind of a chore to sit through you know, Clint Eastwood, um, he's so in love with the subject and with the subjectees of this film that you're right. Like, he, he forgets to actually tell a story with them. There, There is a very big difference between the mundanity that uh, Clint Eastwood captures in this film versus what I think Richard Linklater does in Boyhood with uh, capturing the mundanity of uh, Mason's life as he kind of just goes through these very trivial and, you know, kind of inconsequential moments. I think what Clint Eastwood is doing here is he's trying to capture ordinary people just being ordinary, you know, people at the end of the day, you know, doing things that young men do. They're going on a backpacking trip through Europe. They're drinking beer. They're talking girls and whatever. Um, That's fine because... You know, in the end, the the big takeaway I have with the 1517th of Paris is that, um, A, it's not a really good movie. B, there is this feeling that I got while watching it that I think Clint ultimately wanted us to all have, which is you get this sense that you too could be the one that in a situation that these men were involved in uh, could answer the call, could rise to action, and hopefully do something as heroic as they did because at the end of the day yes spencer stone who the film's uh, pov character is he has had some special training um he's also a physical specimen but at the end of the day i mean these three guys just rushed this dude on the train overpowered him stopped this attack it's a very inspiring and very motivating thing to watch and i think that feeling um, that feeling that I got while watching it of just feeling motivated, inspired, ready to do anything for my country ultimately uh, was one that he wanted us to have. So that that is like the big, big takeaway, I would say, of the film overall. And it's really the only positive thing I can honestly say about this in the end because ooh, you were saying this before, editing, pacing, oh God, the pacing. I mean, so much is like I was about to say so much is done that leads up to this event, but realistically, the real answer is nothing is done leading up to this event. I don't see how the events depicted in this film have any importance whatsoever to the moment on the train. Like why like why did we need uh, to see their lives as kids? You know? What why was that necessary? And, the, you know, it's, I think it's interesting when you talk about boyhood in terms of trying to find these, you know, naturalistic performers in front of the camera. 
I think the major issue that comes with casting these three guys is, you know, they have a kind of rough um, charm to them. And I can almost see why they would think, you know, that could translate on screen. But the problem is that there's nothing dynamic in their performances. I never really felt that they were terrible actors in the movie, but there's just nothing about. Oh, no, I did. I, and I get that. I, I certainly do. But I feel like the bigger issue with their performances is that they just never have like a dynamic personality that really leaps off the screen or can elevate this material, which just feels like it's padding, you know, that, that romp through Europe is like a third of the movie and there's nothing about it that informs these characters or where they're going or, or, or if it does, it's in the most mundane and literal way you could possibly imagine. And it's just so shallow. And that's the problem with this movie is that it is incredibly shallow. Well, because like I was saying, he, he wants to depict them as ordinary people and, well, to be quite fair, ordinary people are quite boring. Um, and when you're trying to uh, not convey that, you know, usually you'll have a really talented actor uh, portray a role. Usually there's good writing that helps to overcome it. Um, and there's a character. There's a trait. There's not really much about these guys that makes them unique, helps them to stand out or anything like that. And, you know, you were saying before you don't think the acting is that bad. I, I do think it's bad because there's, like, this rhythmic pacing to the, to the dialogue, you know, this, like, flow, so to speak, of the way that lines are said, where, to me, it just seemed like there was, like, no rehearsal time. And these guys were just told by Clint, hey, why don't you get in front of the camera and I'll shoot it and we'll go to the next shot you know and that's that's what it feels like because that's how clint operates you know he does like one take and it's like all right on to the next one and oh ab absolutely yeah it, it, he's not the right director for this kind of a <laughs> for this kind of a gamble if that's the approach he takes you know no absolutely not you know when you have non-professionals you can get decent performances out of them but you need a director who can relate to those people on their level and coax a good performance out of them. But you're right. Clint is like one or two takes and then we move on. And I think you can see that in their performances that they're trying their best to get by on their natural charisma, but there's nothing in them that feels like they can transcend becoming like an, a naturalistic actor. No. Every time that they're on screen, it just feels, you know, they're trying to do their best, and sometimes I think you can see the wheels turning. But oh yeah, most yeah, but mostly it's just very wooden, flat personas that just don't do much beyond the bare minimum to get by. Yeah, I mean it's forced. It feels unnatural. It's awkward. They don't like. There's there's like a lack of facial ex expressions and a lack of flexion in the way that they pronounce words there's like no beats in there uh in the way they deliver dialogue it, it just nothing about it is 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 unique or interesting and to me it's like they're just they're saying words but i'm not getting the emotion i'm not i'm not getting the sense of there being a performance you know it, and that's what's so funny about this movie to me is that you can almost show it to an acting school and you could say to people this is uh, how to do a performance, and this is what happens when you just put ordinary people on the screen. This is what you get. Yeah, and unfortunately, they're not even the only ones giving 
uh, mediocre to terrible performances in oh. this movie. Like oh. nobody in this cast is really safe. So here's my here's my problem with, with that too, because you're right. There there are people in this like Judy Greer, Jenna Fisher, who just oh oh yeah, it's it's really bad. M- my question then is just to spare us and to spare them. Why wouldn't Clint Eastwood just use all non professional actors for this entire film? Well. <sighs> I mean, that is a good question. And in that case, you're almost like making a documentary at that point, which it probably would have been a more interesting and more compelling piece of cinema if you had this as, you know, a a well-established filmmaker using real people, reenacting elements of their lives and making it like more of a documentary. But instead, I mean, yeah, you have this mix of professional and non-professionals, but unfortunately, the non-professionals seem to be just phoning it in like just as much. And I mean, Judy Greer and Jenna Fisher, my God, I feel like if people had issues with Sienna Miller in American Sniper, then <laughs> you'd owe her an apology because what they are given to do is even, I think, more insulting. They literally do just nothing in this movie. And it's a shame that all these great actors are wasted in this material. And I think that's the major problem is that this script is it gives nobody anything interesting to do, and unfortunately, the actors really suffer from it. So you're talking about the script, and we're talking about maybe apologizing to American Sniper for a minute. I want to tie those two together here, and I just want to say this. The script in this movie is some of the most heavy-handed stuff I have seen in quite some time in a movie. Yeah. Um, in terms of its message and the way it just presents the dialogue. There's, like, no subtlety to it whatsoever. And we all know Clint Eastwood's politics – we all know, you know, that we all know what kind of a person Clint Eastwood is like, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything like that. Uh, but what I'm saying is that we all know he's very overly patriotic. We know that he supports uh, the right wing and we know that um, this is something that's been bleeding through in his films uh, for a number of years now. Uh, in American Sniper, a lot of people were ready to say that that film was a propaganda film. Um, I am here today to say that that film teeters on being a propaganda film. The 1517th of Paris is a propaganda film. Like, there, there is no question to me while watching this that this is just a big, huge ad for the military wrapped up in the American flag and blessed by God and given to the world by Clint Eastwood. Because, my God, is there so many, like, lines of dialogue that just hit you over the head with God is great, country is great, and, like... It, I just mm, it almost insulted my intelligence I felt like while watching it a little bit because there was just absolutely no nuance or subtlety to any of the storytelling in this film and to me I feel like that's not Clint Eastwood you know I feel like he's able to walk that line so much better in other things that we've seen from him before but in this movie it is a sludgehammer to the face in terms of how hard he hits you with the message of this movie. Oh, and not only that, but it's even, the worst thing about it being a propaganda film is that it's a boring propaganda film. <sighs> and so it doesn't even have like the gutso to be like energetic about its messaging. It it is just so blunt and so like you said it just is a sledgehammer to the face. You know, it's like it's like uh it's like when what's that movie um uh, God is not dead. This is Clint Eastwood's God is Not Dead. Yeah, especially in the beginning of the movie. Uh, there's a scene where the mothers are talking to one of the teachers and the, the teachers are 
saying something about like the kids need to be put on ADD medication and that statistics say they're going to be, you know, turn out bad. And uh, one of the moms, I think it's Judy Greer, like turns around and says, like, my God is bigger than your statistics. And it's just a horrible line delivered oh, to the movie. Michael Downs, one of my worst lines of the year. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It, it's it's really, really bad. And it's indicative of, of a lot of the dialogue in this movie. Um, this is the first time writer, right? Oh, I, God, I haven't done any research. I, I, that sounds so bad. I haven't done any research. Um, no, I, I, well, I don't, I don't know. listening to the dialogue, I can believe it. I will say this. I know it's based off the book that the three of them, the three main actors, I know they put it together and they actually presented the story to Clint and they wanted Clint to do it. So he, he said, yes. And this is what we got out of it, which is. Something to me that just feels like it's just so pedestrian and not at the same level that we expect from Clint Eastwood. And I don't know what level people are expecting from him at this point in his career at age 86 years old. But hey, Sully was a decent film. American Sniper got all those Oscar nominations. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, which, by the way, makes a cameo appearance in uh, 1517 to Paris, which is – Oh, God, in the worst possible way. That is the most ridiculous, ridiculous thing. How old is that kid supposed to be? That kid, that kid is 13? I, I, I can't imagine, like, more than 14. There's no kid in the world that has a Letters from Iwo Jima poster in their bedroom at that age. Especially somebody who's, like, blue-collar working class. That just – I mean, look, I probably would have loved that movie as a kid, but I don't think that kid would. It, it Especially if you've got a poster of Full Metal Jacket in there, too, and then Letters from Iwo Jima – it's like Clint, if you're going to be that much of a self promoter, like pick flags of our fathers, <laughs> you know, not not the the uh, Japanese World War II film that's in another language. That, that kid's not watching that movie. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> oh my, my eyes rolled so hard at that. Moment. Oh, my eyes rolled so many times while watching this. You know, it just, you know. We, we follow the movie through Spencer Stone's uh, point of view. And I do have to say there is something admirable about the fact that he is an overweight guy and that he gets into shape and we get this like training montage set to – what is that song? Believer? They used it like in the Murder on the Orient Express marketing material. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that scene's energizing and that scene was like you know good in the sense of like America, fuck yeah. Like this guy's going to try out for the military and he's going to get the position he wants and that's awesome and good for him for making a lifestyle change. And I, I felt really cool you know, watching that sequence. Yeah, but that, that sequence is also just a boring montage that we've seen in a thousand other movies. Oh, no, that I, was just, I, was, I was about to say, but it's incredibly boring. You're 100% right. There's nothing new that is brought to it at all and and that's what i think it all just comes down to is that this film is literally not doing anything anything new other than taking the risk of casting these uh three real uh people in the lead role um instead what it does do is it tries to ride its entire it tries to ride its entire um uh gamble on the hope that walking out of this you're gonna feel something you know when you get to the end of the film and they're actually using the real footage um, from where the French government is recognizing them for their heroic efforts. Um, in another film, in a different kind of feature-length movie, you would have different actors playing these guys. And you would get to that scene at the end where they would use the real-life footage. And then you would see the real-life actor. Um, I have to say, it was really, really jarring to see that sequence 
with the actual people because to me it it it, i wanted to feel good walking out of this movie josh i really really did but all i could think of was it seems to me like they cgi the actual people into those scenes even though i know that that's not true (laughs) because because like it reminds me of like forrest gump you know it's like how they have forrest gump like cgi'd into like the scenes with the presidents and uh you know and so on and so forth uh to me it's like that whole sequence just mixed messed up with my brain so much because i'm so used to seeing the actor and then you know you get to the part where you have the real life person at the end whether it be through a photo montage or uh news footage in this case they used actual news footage and it just it even that came off as like fake and just so weird to me because it's the same actor i've seen throughout the entire movie (laughs) and it just looks so because it looks so indistinguishable from what we've just seen it really just hammers in the point even more of how just blandly shot the movie is. I mean, that's another thing. Oh yeah. You know, Tom Stern is the guy who works with all of, of Eastwood's films. And, you know, usually I, I tend to like the look of his films. I know people complain about the desaturation. You know, Changeling's a beautiful film. Uh, you know, uh, American Sniper looked okay. You know, I think Letters from Iwo Jima is, is a beautiful looking film. Oh yeah, Letters from Iwo Jima looks really good. Yeah, no, no, he's done some great work with him. Oh, yeah. But honestly, I was surprised when I saw his name in the credits because it it's not not only is it just blandly shot, but it's also not very good looking. There's moments, especially in Europe, where I'm pretty sure it's like a GoPro that they use. And it's this really low resolution image that just doesn't look good at all. Yeah. I was honestly kind of shocked that Tom Stern worked on this movie. There's like some scenes where they're like in a like in the bar um, where I'm saying to myself, like the production design is just like way too naturalistic looking to the point where this just looks ugly and you know the desaturated color is also not working you know in this particular instance and that's something that tom stern does a lot yeah man this was just a visually bland film poorly edited poorly written poorly acted sorry i know you might disagree to some extent there Um, i'm not gonna fight you that hard on it (laughs) okay all right well that's fair um but in the end, I, you know, it all just kind of culminates with the scene that we're hoping is going to be decent. And that's the uh, scene on the train itself. So, I mean, Josh, for you, what did you what did you think of that scene? I mean, it that scene is well done enough, you know, for what it is trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's kind of interesting and kind of entertaining. But the problem, again, is that because the rest of the movie is so unbelievably dull it has no choice but to feel exciting by comparison. So, yeah, when they rush the guy, when they're fighting him and and tackle him and then he gets subdued and then they try to help the other man who's been shot, like, yeah, that's all relatively exciting, but it just really feels like by this moment in the film we are just starved for anything to happen that it, it I don't know, it just feels like it's well done, but... It is also d- well done in the most basic way you can think of, just like everything else in this movie. We have scenes that take place before this leading up to it that go absolutely nowhere. And oh, gee, oh my God. I can't. There's so much filler in this movie. I have no idea how they were supposed to highlight the characters. I have no idea how they were supposed to push the narrative forward. I don't understand why this could not just be a short film. Um if this was like a 15 or 20 minute short film, 
then Clint Eastwood could be getting nominated for an Oscar. If it was a documentary, like you said before, Clint Eastwood could be getting nominated for an Oscar. Instead, I see Razzies in the future for this film. And going back to that train sequence, like you were saying before, yeah, you're right. It has no choice but to be exciting by default. And it is the best scene of the whole movie. It, It doesn't do enough to pull this film out of the hole that it's made for itself. And it is a really, really shallow and empty hole ultimately because that's yeah it's 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 oh, bad man like i said by the end i i started to have like this feeling of a little bit of patriotism and like you know oh man you could do anything i i can do anything and i feel inspired and i feel good you know i had that feeling but it was wrestling with this other feeling i had that man that absolutely sucked and i wasted my time and i i Oh, I was just at war with myself by the time this movie ended. So yeah, I just want to say that I think the ultimate failing with this movie is that it never answers a, a question as to why it needs to exist. There's never a moment where you think, "Why are we all watching these characters? What is really pushing them through?" Not just the character saying, "You ever feel like we're getting pushed to someplace?" And the movie just never is interested in those in those questions. It's all just watch these guys. You get a, the bare minimum backstory and then the event happens and then we just move on and that's the most disappointing thing about the film agreed uh final thoughts great out of 10 oscar potential uh well my final thoughts uh it's not a good movie (laughs) um it's pretty bland and boring and overstuffed would you say it's the worst directed clint eastwood film no i wouldn't say that i i there's other clint eastwood movies that i would gladly skip over to watch this one but i do think it is his most empty one um it's definitely the one of i i think i can't really think of a movie that had less of a purpose of existing um maybe hereafter maybe that might that might take it over this one but and for the record you know we're not saying that we're like anti-religious or anti-military or anything like that by saying these things um no no not at all it, it's just the way that it went about it, that you compare this to something like thank you for your service, which came out uh, last year. And that was a film I didn't rate extremely highly. That is a much better film than this. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, I never saw that one. So I'll take your word for it. I, I mean, I have to, I can't imagine it could be worse than this. Yeah. I mean, you know, and if you want to feel, uh, if you, I've, Oh my God, I, I can't even, I was, I was about, I was about to start comparing this to like every other war film ever, ever made. And it's just like, this isn't even a war film. No, it's not. No, this is not a war film. This is essentially like boyhood meets what I, I you know what? In the end, it's a unique concept. And the fact that I'm having trouble just trying to compare it to something off the top of my head right now uh, lends itself over to that fact. I'm sorry, by the way. I'm cutting into like your final spiel. No, 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 no. I, I totally agree with that. I, I'm just like p- so perplexed that this movie exists in the form that it exists in. Yeah, and and it's a shame because it has so much potential to be – more interesting it, it has the potential to be something like a united 93 that oh. you know really goes into the lives there of these characters and figures out the minutiae i mean and even that's though what it wants to be there you go it wants to be boyhood with united 93 that's what it wants to be but it's it's totally not even united united 93 has moments where you see the the terrorists you know and but there's there's none of that nuance in this film at all and it's just 
bland, boring, by the numbers as much as possible, and doesn't do anything to kind of make this more interesting than it could. Um, and that's really, really unfortunate. Um, yeah, so th- that's basically my whole summation of it. But given it a grade out of 10, I'd probably say three to be kind of generous because there's a couple things that I was invested in. It wasn't much, but it was enough to like not make me want to throw tomatoes at the screen. Uh, and in terms of Oscar potential, the only thing that I can really see maybe happening with the film is best sound editing because no. Clint Eastwood movies do very well in that category. But they always get nominated. They consistently, Clint Eastwood movies consistently get nominated in sound editing. This it's critically panned. No way. No hey, way. Hey, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Thirteen Hours came out in January, and they still nominated that movie. Yeah, but that had gunfire. There's like one gunshot in this whole movie. Hey, I mean, all I know is that the team that works on this movie gets nominated all the time, and you can't count that out. I'm going to count it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then at 2019 Oscars, we'll see it as a as a nominee. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it a two out of ten. It's not the worst film I will see this year, although it was dangerously close at times. It, it came super close. Um, two out of ten. It's it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, I gave it a three, so I can't argue with you a whole lot on it. <laughs> All right. With that said, Josh, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review of the 1517 to Paris. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. That is, of course, unless if you want to bash us and say that we're like anti-military, anti-religious, anti-everything. Anti-Clint Eastwood. I need to send that all to me. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, thank you so much for listening. We will see you all next time. Go USA. <laughs>Watch them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher. And Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.